Hey everyone, welcome to our series covering the book of Hosea. Before we jump in, we wanted to offer a quick word about the sensitive nature of this book. Hosea is full of really intense imagery um, and often pretty sexual imagery. So if you're listening with your family or with kids, you might want to be a little careful. Yeah, we're not going to get crazy explicit, but you just might want to use discretion when uh, diving into this book with us. But we're excited to preach Christ out of it and go through the book of Hosea with you. Here we go. Welcome to the Spoken Gospel Podcast. Spoken Gospel is a nonprofit dedicated to the idea that every part of the Bible, Old Testament and New, is about Jesus. And this podcast is our experiment to publicly test that belief. Every episode, hosts David Bowden and Seth Stewart work through a biblical text to see how it helps us see and savor Jesus. Let's jump in. Well, welcome everyone to the Spoken Gospel Podcast. Thank you for joining us. We are jumping into the first three chapters of Hosea today, That's and right. we're going to be looking at the famous story of Hosea marrying a promiscuous woman, an adulterous woman, a woman of whoredom. Uh, we're going to talk about a that. what have you. Oh, what have you. Um, and really the main point that you're going to take away from this is that God is not only, is one willing to enter into an intimate relationship with people who would rather be intimate with anybody else, but that he's willing to go to extreme lengths to make people who are promiscuous and adulterous his own. Yeah. Uh, And he's going to do that not with primarily with, he's not going to make them his own through anger, Mm. but through alluring. Right. Wooing. Wooing. Yeah. And God being attractive to being attractive to somebody who doesn't want it. Yeah. And I think that's kind of like the most powerful thing, the way that God pictures himself. Like yeah. you have this woman who doesn't want anything to do with her husband and the husband faithfully, long-sufferingly, costly. Yeah, woos his wife back. Woos his wife back. Yep. And that's the picture of God we get in Hosea It's going to be beautiful. I'm excited to jump into it. Yes. Mm. So um, in Hosea 1, we're introduced to... Let's pause. Oh, yeah. Go so ahead. then just like think about that. If you don't feel lovely, you feel mm. you have not measured up, if you feel like you can't, like, if God shouldn't love you. Mm-hmm. It's, this book okay. is for you. This book is for you. Like, yeah. It's, it's for you. And particularly if you've experienced sexual brokenness in your past. Yes. Like, there is a reason why there's such intense sexual metaphors used throughout Hosea. Because Israel was sexually broken along with spiritually broken. Mm-hmm. So, like, if you have experienced, are experiencing those things, this book is for you. I'll take the prophetic other side of that coin. Yes. If you do not think that you are a harlot, <laughs> yeah. if you think that you and God are fine and that you've never done anything to offend God's love and jealous sensibilities towards you and that, you know, you go to church, you do your things, God would never, you know, feel like I have undivided allegiances toward him. Hosea might be for you too. Yeah. Because that is the situation that Israel has found herself in. Israel doesn't believe she's a whore. Right. And the whole point of of Hosea is to prove that she is. And so like first and foremost, we all need to be broken by this book and see ourselves as harlots. Yes. Even if you've been a Christian for your whole life. Yes. You and like confess in daily with groups of people like I think there's some, we miss something of the character and nature and heart of God when we don't try to embody for ourselves like the category of horror mm-hmm. um, so that we can experience 
the category of God's love, like loving, yes. husbandly affection. Right. The, like, the, yeah, the dawn, you know, comes in brighter after the darkness. You yes. know, we need to know how lost and broken and dark we were in, in order for God's love to shine out as, like, astounding and baffling as it is. Yeah. yeah. So that's why you should be into Hosea 1 to 3. Definitely. Uh, verse 1 kind of gives us Hosea's resume. Yep. And he lists a number of kings, and those kings, if you add up all their years, are 105 years mm-hmm. between the first and the last one. So that doesn't mean Hosea was... There from prophet. day one of the first kings to the last day of the last but king. But he was part of the administration of all those kings, and this is during Israel's golden age. So yep. Israel's at the height of her power, but also the height of her sexual promiscuity and her idolatry. Mm-hmm. And Hosea is speaking to all these different kings about the same message, calling Israel to repent before Assyria comes right. and wipes them out. Yeah, and to and hopefully you guys have already listened to the introduction uh, episode, but if not, to remind you that uh, Hosea is in the northern kingdom. Yes. Israel's been fractured into two kingdoms, the ten tribes of the north. Uh, so whenever you read the, the words Israel, we're talking about the northern kingdom that is now under the threat of Assyria, and this is the one that has been plagued by idolatry from day one. But then you also had the southern kingdom, which is called Judah, um, and you'll come across that, and that's like the tribe of Judah mm-hmm. and uh, the other tribe. What's the other tribe that was there? Benjamin. <laughs> Benjamin with them, and that's where the temple was. That was Jerusalem. Mm-hmm. Um, and so uh, another another strange word you'll come up against um, is Ephraim. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Israel in Hosea, and a lot of the minor prophets, is called Ephraim. And whenever you see Ephraim, that's also referring to the northern tribe of Israel, the northern part of Israel. So, so anyway. the first words, the prophecy of Hosea are this, verse 2. When the Lord spoke, uh, first spoke through Hosea, the Lord said to Hosea, Go, take yourself a wife of whoredom, and have children of whoredom, for the land commits great whoredom by forsaking the Lord. Yep. So like a summary of the whole book. A good summary of the whole book. And so the most important thing to note there is the land commits great whoredom by forsaking the Lord. Mm -hmm. Primary sin is not sexual in nature, although it is sexual often. The primary sin of the land is choosing to love other gods more than the Lord. That's right. It's the primary thing. And so the first thing is, what does Hosea actually do here? So mm. a lot of the other prophets throughout the Bible will do these sign acts. Yes. They do things with their body. or Isaiah publicly. walked around naked for like years. Uh, Ezekiel burns his own beard. Beard. And like, and so like, yeah, laid on his side for like 400 something days. And they do yeah. this to incarnate or represent the spiritual state of the nation. Mm-hmm. And like we're familiar with it. It's like performance art, you know, yep. nowadays. You know, it's like someone does like a Banksy art installation where they're like trying to make a statement through some really evocative piece of art in the middle of London. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. You hear about that like monolith that appeared in the desert? Yes. Like something like that. Yeah, something like that. I was, I was like, I've never like, what if there was a Christian Banksy? Like somebody like prophetically speaking to the nations through like yeah. secret art. Anyway, I think there's people doing that. Yeah. So yeah. that's that's what he's doing. Right. And this uh, prophetic act is to marry a woman of whoredom. Yes. So there's like a lot of scholarship on like, who is the woman of whoredom? Yeah, what does that mean? Is she a prostitute? Yeah, from one of the Baal like temple courts. Is she just a regular prostitute? Yep. Is she uh, just an adulterous woman? Yeah, who has ha- is that, like who has had affairs in the past? Yes. You mean yes, like was married, had an affair, got divorced, divorced her, stuck and, with some kids now. Yes. Yeah. Or is she just, just 
a, a, a known promiscuous woman. It's like, yep. oh, if you married her, she would totally cheat on you. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and then the other, there's other scholarships saying that this woman was just a normal good woman. Yes. And then who goes bad later over on the course of the book of Hosea. Right. Ultimately, it doesn't, it, it matters. It I don't want to, I don't want to say biblical facts don't matter. They absolutely matter. But the point of this book is not Hosea's story. <laughs> the point of the book is Israel's story. And Hosea is, is this marriage is supposed to be a representation of that right. larger national yeah. story. So yes. however the details work out yeah. is less important than what they represent and mean. Right. For Seth and I, we'll give you our, how we read it. Um, take it with a grain of salt. Um, this is just how we'll refer to the story from now on, probably. Yeah. And that is that this woman named Gomer um, was most likely already married in the past, mm-hmm. cheated on her husband, had an adulterous affair, and was therefore correctly divorced, mm-hmm. you know, by that husband and left with some children from her adulterous affair. And then Hosea comes and marries this woman and adopts her children as right. well. And you have to think about this. If, that, if this was the situation... Uh, I mean, that's a bad situation for a woman to be in. It would be a scandalous thing for Hosea to marry her. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it would be an so expensive that, thing. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. All, all those reasons. Yeah. So much so that a lot of scholars today say that Hosea couldn't have married. God would have never asked him to do such a scandalous thing. Right. I, no, I think he would have to yeah. prove the point he's making. His which love is, is scandalous. <laughs> which is that Israel has committed such great spiritual adultery it means that the personal life of Hosea needs to become intertwined with a woman of whoredom yeah. along with her children. Right. I, I could also see it being an actual prostitute. Like mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't think there's any reason why you couldn't read it that way. We're just not given enough information besides yeah. the word whore. Right. Which has a whole range of meanings. It's a big range of meanings. Like, in this, like, yep. it just like, has... like, yeah, like I said in the in the introduction episode, uh, we're told that Israel whored after goat demons. Yes, they didn't have sex with goat demons. They weren't real. Like, you right. know, they weren't physical things. They were spiritual things. So it's just like it. It has such a wide semantic range in the Old yeah. Testament that uh, it's it, we can't just say whore equals prostitute. Yes, uh, but it it could have been. There could there. We just don't have enough evidence. We don't have enough it. evidence. The point, though, is that there is a person yep. who is has been sexually adulterous. Yes. And God has asked Hosea to marry her as a symbol of God's marriage to His own adulterous people. Right. So, like, yeah, I think Israel, if they were, if they were going to, uh, if they would have like publicly demonstrated what they thought their relationship with God looked like, mm-hmm. it would have maybe just been a marriage, like yep. a normal, good. White picket fence, nuclear family, marriage. You know, and it's like, and we're cool with each other. Yeah. And he's like, no, let me show you what our relationship's actually like. It's this scandalous relationship between a man of renown, you know, a prophet of God who sits in the courts of kings, who goes and slums it with a whore. Yes. That's That's what I am. I am the God, the king of kings, who I'm slumming it with a whore whenever I'm hanging out with Israel. Yes, like, I which had, is like, so intense. It's so intense. I like in my mind, I picture it like Hosea going to a brothel. Yes, finding a woman in a room with her children and then bringing him out of the brothel. That's yeah. kind of how I pick. That's how I've always pictured it too. Um, so I like, and I, again, I'm, that's a little bit of imagination it I'm is. using. Yeah, but the scandal of that. Yes, is what you're meant to feel from this. That's right. Um, so immediately then, so that's what God's asked Hosea to do. He then also has children. Yeah. Oh, hey, just oh, yeah. I'm just trying to add to the scandal a little yeah. bit. Like another biblical story that we're familiar with that kind of like hints at the scandal is think about Mary and Joseph, Jesus's mm-hmm. m- mother, right? Where it's like she finds out she's pregnant 
and Joseph, even though he's a man of renown, wants to do it the right way, decides to divorce her quietly. Because like to be involved with an adulterous woman was just so full of shame. You know, that like yeah. anyway, I yeah, was just yeah. like there's parallels between this story and and the gospel story yeah. already. Yeah. So um yeah, it's a good it's yeah. a good point. It's very scandalous. So yeah. and then immediately they have children. So remember he's adopted the whore's children. Yes. And now he's having biological children with Gomer. And each one of his children is now also a prophetic sign to the people of Israel. Yeah, they uh yeah, God 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 gives them some weird names. I I I I had a I had a Hebrew professor in my undergraduate and he he said that he would give us an A, an automatic A in our minor prophets class if we named any of our children these three names. <laughs> 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 Obviously, none of us did. Obviously, once, you, once you hear their names. Uh, so the first one requires the most explaining, so I'll come back to it. Okay, but the, yep. the firstborn is called Jezreel. Mm -hmm. this, and, uh, and the second one is named No Mercy. Yes. Because God says, I will have no more mercy on the house of Israel to forgive them at all. Mm -hmm. um, I will not save them. Uh, well, I'll get that. So first, second child is named No Mercy. Lorhama. Ooh, I don't know the Hebrew. Yeah. And then the f the final child's name, not my people. Yeah. And the reason, Loami. Uh, the reason no, not my people should feel scandalous in this of itself is that when God made his covenant with Israel at Mount Sinai, the way they sealed the covenant, the way that like their I do's in the marriage ceremony mm -hmm. was, was, I will be your God yep. and you will be my people. And all the people said, Yes, amen. amen. You will be our God and we will be your people. Yep. It's how the relationship with God started was with these words. It's, I now pronounce you husband and wife. And yes. this is God saying, I will not be your husband. You will not be my wife. Yes. Yes. And then he, the second name is no mercy. Yep. Like, which is kind of like, I was, I think like there's a difference between being merciless, yeah, merciless. Like I will be merciless to you. Right. I will have, like, I will give you what you're owed. Yeah. Is one thing, mm -hmm. which makes sense. Yeah. I will be merciless towards you. Right. Is another. Really shocking. And the name Jezreel mm -hmm. kind of does all of that, but with like, Jezreel is a place. Yeah. This this just pulls on a bunch of historical threads for people. The be And I know you'll go to the story, uh, but to like set up the evocative like uh, kind of character, uh, it would be like saying like, I'll, I'll name you Pearl Harbor. Yeah. Yeah. Something like that, yeah. So the story is actually a really important story to understanding the book of Hosea in general. It's about Ahaz and um, Jezebel. Mm -hmm. So they were pretty bad kings. Uh, I think the way that um, the book of Kings describes them in 1631 says this, Ahab, not Ahaz, Ahab, mm. did evil in the sight of the Lord more than all who were before him as if it were a light thing to walk in the sins of Jeroboam, oh who up to that time was, was the, the worst. worst of the worst because it was Jeroboam who erected the golden calves. Both of them. Both the golden calves. Like, he was like the worst possible yep. king. Every and, time up to that point, uh, whenever northern kings would be evil, it would say, and they, they did evil like their father, Jeroboam. He was the paradigm until Ahab. And then he's so evil, it was a light thing for him. 
to watch. He made evil look effortless. Oh my gosh. That's Ahab. And so Ahab and Jezebel, his wife, are responsible for setting up Baal worship mm-hmm. in Israel. And if you want to understand what how gross that is, go, go listen, back to the introduction to podcast, the, the PG-13 the, episode. Yeah, <laughs> it's pretty, maybe a little higher than PG-13. <laughs> NC-17. <laughs> it's pretty intense. Um, and then you probably know the story of Ahab murdering a man, Naboth, for his vineyard. Oh, right. Yes. That happens in the Valley of Jezreel, his vineyards in Jezreel. So mm. you have this, like, you have a connection between evil kings and Jezreel uh, where a king is just murdering a man for grapes. Yep. Senseless evil embodies his reign in this place called Jezreel. And when Elijah comes to him and rebukes him for this, he tells him that Ahab's kingdom will be destroyed in the Valley of Jezreel. Right. And then that happens. Yes. A, the king Jehu comes in and is running Ahab's army to the ground. Mm -hmm. And the final stronghold is in the city of Jezreel Mm -hmm. or in the Valley of Jezreel. And I don't know, I think Ahab has died by this point in the battle or he's run away, I forget. Oh yeah, he dies and he leaves the kingdom to his wife and his son. Right. His wife and his son flee to the city and they're kind of cornered there. Jehu's army has surrounded them and she's in this tall tower Mm -hmm. in the middle of the city. The men come, slaughter everybody and then when they come up to the tower, you have this really weird narrative detail where Jezebel is putting on makeup and a wig. Really what? strange narrative detail. And then they push her out the window. <laughs> her blood, we're told, spatters against the wall. Dogs eat her body. Oh, which was another part of Elijah's prophecy. Which was another part of Elijah's prophecy. And they <laughs> use her body as manure on the fields of Jezreel. Goodness. That is the story of Jezreel. It's this place of intense judgment against Israel's sins. And the reason why I bring up the thing about her dressing herself up is because the way that their story reads, you think Jezebel wants to go out with the dignity of a queen. Mm. She knows she's about to lose, to to, um, to die. Yeah. So she's going to go out with the dignity of a queen. But what's funny is as Jehu comes towards Jez, uh, Jezreel, mm-hmm. he says, I'm doing this because of the whoring of jezebel right she's not a queen she's a whore she's dressing herself like like a whore yeah so so that's jezreel Mm. so god is you yeah he's saying i'm naming this first child of this adulterous woman and hosea i'm naming their first child um after a place where um somebody a woman who's pretending she's a queen is killed like a whore yes and that's kind of Israel. <laughs> yes. And he, and <laughs> he, kind of. and he exactly. predicts that that will happen again right. at the Valley of Jezreel. And I, I think like it'll, it'll happen again. Yeah. That's going to happen again to Israel. Okay. So the names of the children. So the marriage itself represents whoredom, Israel's spiritual adultery. Yep. And the names of the children represent what will happen to Israel and how God will treat Israel. Okay. So, okay. Let me try to recap. <laughs> Not necessarily the, the what Hosea did, but let me, let me try it. Because I think we can... It's a very evocative metaphor, you know? Yeah. And I think it's it, it inhabits our imagination really easily. Like a man marrying an adulterous woman, having children with her, adopting her, you know, adulterous children. Yeah. Is like easier to connect with than a lot of things in the Bible. But the bigger and more important thing is what this metaphor represents, which is the mm-hmm. spiritual reality in Israel that God's trying to convince them of. And so what you're saying is on the first chapter of Hosea, God is saying that being in a covenant relationship with Israel, being Israel's God is like being married to a whore, mm-hmm. right? Yep. Um, and so here's what's going to happen. Um, I'm going to judge you like I did Jezebel. Mm-hmm. I'm going to not have mercy on you. 
and you're not going to be my wife anymore. You're not going to be my people anymore. Yeah. Uh, another way you could say it, it's like his um, his son is uh, named not my people. Right. So it's like you're like I think we said the last part like it's a bastard son. Like yeah. you are that's who you are to me now. Yeah. You're worth nothing to me. Yes. Yep. Okay. That's a that's an upper. It's an upper, and that's the beginning of Hosea's prophecy, and it really kind of forms like everything, like the central metaphors for the whole thing. And then, for no reason whatsoever, verse ten, yet. The number of the children of Israel shall be like the sand of the sea, which cannot be measured or numbered. And in the place where it was said to them, you are not my people, it shall be said to them, children of the living God. And the children of Judah and the children of Israel, so the two divide, the divided nation, will be gathered together and they will appoint for themselves one head and they shall go up from the land for great, for great shall be the day of Jezreel. What? So right after... <laughs> really starkly portraying the current spiritual condition of Israel. Hosea then says, but all that will one day be reversed. Yeah. Not my people will be called my people. Yeah. Um, the Jezreel, mm -hmm. the place of destruction will be a place of deliverance, deliverance and salvation. And you will receive mercy now after you have received no mercy. And, but there, there's, and we talked about this in the intro. There's no reason given for this. There's no reason. We're told why, God is doing all this. Why his judgment is coming? It's for their whoredom. Yep. We're told why God is divorcing them. We're never told why he's going to have mercy on them. Yeah. And that's the way chapter one ends with this great promise of mercy. It repeats some important things to know. Is verse 10. It repeats the promise God made to Abraham. Right. Uh, children shall be like the sand of the sea, which cannot be measured or numbered. That's from Abraham. Mm -hmm. You are not my people is the original covenant ceremony back on Mount Sinai. Children of the living God. Like this is... God's eternal promises are not ending. No. Nope. So I think he reinvokes the whole covenant. He does. And I think one way to say it is that renews their vows. He renews their vows. Yeah, yeah he does. And one way to think about it too is like this current generation of Israel, mm -hmm. no mercy. No mercy. Not my people. Right. Um, you will experience judgment on Jezreel. But God's eternal promises towards his people yes. have not yet ended. Right. Like they're still coming a day when Jezreel will place, be a place of deliverance and his people will be his people. Mm -hmm. We don't know when that day is yet. Yeah. That is cool. Um, okay, a lot to think about there. Yeah. One, just I'm kind of going to work backwards through the chapter here because mm -hmm. we're just on verse 10 right now. Um, uh, but like this idea of Jezreel becoming a place of salvation, like a place where whoredom is punished, becoming the valley from which deliverance springs just like reminds me of the cross from like a thematic category. Yeah. You know, it's like the place where judgment happens ends up being the place where the divided kingdom is restored. The one, the one King that is appointed over them yeah. reigns. Yes. It's like that's what happened on the cross. Yeah. Think about this verse 11, all the children of Israel shall be gathered together and they shall point for themselves one head. Right. No longer will there be two Kings. There'll be one King. Yeah. Who will do this? Yeah. Who is this King? We, he's not mentioned in the Old Testament. Nope. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. Jesus is the one king who goes to the valley of the cross. Yep. Of punishment. Of punishment. Where only whores belong. He goes outside the city to the crucifixion, a place of shame, and turns something that used to condemn Israel, mm -hmm. used to condemn Jesus, as a place of our salvation and deliverance. Yeah. That's that's Jesus. It's amazing. And then, and then achieves all the blessings of the covenant. Now, we he has children. Yeah, we are his people. And he has children without number. How many Christians are there in the world since the 
the resurrection of Jesus. We don't know. Billions? <laughs> you know, we don't know. Yeah. Children without number. Like yeah. the Abrahamic covenant has now rung true. God yeah. has been fruitful and is multiplying his people across the face of the earth. Anyway, yeah, that's, that's cool. It's really cool. And, um, and I also think it's interesting too, like um, how when we're adopted, you know, we're like, we're given a new name, you yes. know, like. Oh, oh, I'm so excited you want to talk about that. I was going to talk about it later, but I was, we can talk about it now. It'd be amazing. Yeah. I'm just like, I mean, it's here that, you know, it, are there, is there, are there other in chapter two twenty one, um, it's it kind of repeats the same idea. And in that day, I will answer, declares the Lord. I will answer the heavens and the earth will answer, and I will have mercy on no mercy, and oh. I will say not to not my people, you are my people, and he shall say, you are my God. Yeah. Uh, so the names are reversed. Yes. The names and, are yeah. Reversed. And it's just like we we have these names on us now, you know. Um, and like this gets picked up in the New Testament, mm-hmm. you know, like yeah. those, Revelation two yeah. seventeen, right? Yes, it says I will also give you a white stone with a new name right. written on it, known only to the one who receives it. Mm-hmm. And I thought about that verse a lot. Mm. Why do you need a name that nobody else knows mm. except the Lord? Like, why do you need that? Oh man, I don't know. I think because and this is a little bit of imagination. <laughs> But because nobody else knows the names you call yourself in the dark before you go to bed. Mm. Like God knows you need a name that can like reverse everything you and other people say about you. And even God can say about you. And in Jesus, you get that reverse named, Mm. like like that reversed name. You know, like we all want to be named by somebody and we want to know that what they're calling us is like our true self. I think that's why we love personality tests. Totally. Right? It's I'm like, an INFJ. I'm an INFJ. I'm an Enneagram 9. I'm a Ravenclaw. Like, I want that. I've been given a, no- a name. I, people know me. I'm known, I'm known by this thing. Mm. And then finally, one of the blessings of heaven is that we are given the name that perfectly matches who we are. Mm. And I think for our whole lives, we're looking for that name. Who are we really? Yeah. What am I? What does it mean to be David? What does it mean to be me? <laughs> yeah. And then one of the promise, and then we get all these names thrown on us. The names we call ourselves, the names yep. people other call us. Mm-hmm. The, Good the, and bad. The names that the Bible even will tell us of, of our own sin. Mm-hmm. And then God will one day give us a personal, intimate name that only he and I know. And it's the final name we'll ever need to hear. Mm, yeah, it's so good. I also love like Jesus like called people by name. Yes. You know, it's like a normal thing that Jesus like Jesus would do. And it was like for Mary at the tomb, she thought Jesus, the resurrected Jesus was the gardener mm-hmm. until he said Mary. Yeah. And then she said, "Oh, Rabbi, yeah. you know, I know who you are now, you know?" It's like there's something about God calling us by name that shakes something loose. Or think about Peter he was mm-hmm. Simon before, yep. or Caiaphas, yep. and he renames him. Cephas. Cephas. Caiaphas yeah. was his Greek, Greek yeah. version. Yeah. Uh, he renames him. Why? Because Peter is who God had meant him to be. Right. Like, there's something really powerful about renaming. Mm-hmm. It, and it happens all the way back in the Abrahamic covenant. Mm-hmm. Like Abraham was he, renamed. He was Abram, you know, father. Oh, yeah. You know, he's like, Abraham, father of many. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, I'm going to tell you, who you thought you would be a dad, but did you know you'd be the dad of the whole world? You know, or so, you yeah, know, it's yeah, like, yeah. anyway, that's really cool. Yeah. yeah the gospel takes who we were and who we think we are mm-hmm. and makes us something new and tra- transforms our identity into something better. And why? 
Because he loves us. Because he loves us. We're no reason There's at all. There's no reason given for why God will do this, except that he loves us. Okay, so we have met Gomer. Have we ever said her name yet? Yeah, I, I think, think we, we did. Yeah, so Gomer, uh, Hosea's wife. We've met uh, her. They're, they're the three children of their marriage. Which the sign children? They're sign children. They're great names. Mm-hmm. You know, Jezreel, No Mercy, and Not My People. Yeah, uh, this they just roll off the tongue. You know, they really do. Uh, they sounded better in Hebrew, they or maybe they sound better. worse. I don't know. <laughs> but um, anyway, but now we're going to kind of uh, we're, we're also going to get introduced to her children of whoredom. Yeah. Right? So remember, she Hosea married Gomer mm-hmm. and adopted the children that she had. Yep. And now the sign children, the children with the prophetic names about Israel's future, mm-hmm. were now told that they speak to their stepbrothers and sisters and ste- speak to their mother. So right. verse 2, verse 1, say to your brothers, you are my people, and to your sisters, you have received mercy, and plead with your mother, plead because she is not my wife and I am not her husband. Mm. So the idea is Hosea's children are now enacting the call to repentance of their prophet father. Does right. that make sense? They're, yes. they're an extension of his prophetic ministry, calling the children of whoredom and the wife of whoredom to return to their husbands. Mm-hmm. Which is what which is what Hosea in large is doing for the people of Israel. Yes. He is the, the prophetic child yes. speaking to the Horus children of Israel and mm-hmm. the mother of Israel, Israel itself, corporate Israel, yes. saying, repent. Yeah. Turn. The the, the, the the metaphors kind of stack on top of each they other. They do, yeah. But the basic message is the same. It's God is calling his rebellious wife, his adulterous bride, to come back and to be with him and to mm-hmm. be intimate with him. Right. That's, that's yeah, the Yeah, while, while at the same time, like, doubling down on the shocking message to Israel that they're actually being adulterous. Yes. Right? It's, like, she, she needs to repent because she is a whore. Like, yes. I think mean, that's the thing that is also, like... Like people who people don't repent when they don't think they're wrong. Yeah, they think they're doing nothing wrong. Right, and so like this whole thing, I think, is constantly trying to throw in their face, like you're doing something wrong. Yep. And so the rest of this section is it's a poem, or it's a, it's at least framed like a poem in your Bible. It has verses and stanzas, and it's about the judgment that God will bring to people who have broken God's covenant. And this mm-hmm. is the place where Hosea is now repeating the curses from Deuteronomy and Leviticus. In Deuteronomy and Leviticus, God lays out the law and the blessings that they will get if they obey the law and all the curses that will happen if they don't obey the law. And one of, like a really simple one was like, your land won't produce the crops that it used to. Mm -hmm. The very thing that you were going to bail to achieve is not going to happen anymore. Mm -hmm. And so the central metaphor for chapter two is like this barren wilderness. Israel will become Mm -hmm. a barren wilderness because of her adultery. She's leaving the God of life and fertility for a false God of life and fertility. And they're going to, it's going to be proven to be false by the fact that Israel's desolate. She goes into a place of infertility. Yep. So verse three, I will strip her naked and I'll make her as she was in the day she was born. Uh, I'll make her like a parched land and kill her with thirst. Yeah. Like he's making Israel into the desolated wilderness that they're trying to avoid. Yeah, I'll make her l- into a wilderness. Like the wilderness, and this is, I think this is important. Like the wilderness is a really sp- like special, but not in like a good way, you know, necessarily place in the Bible, in the biblical story, you know, like the, the wilderness is 
this place of exclusion. It's the place outside the promised land. It's a mm-hmm. way station. It's not the yeah. place you're supposed to be. Yes. Um, but paradoxically, it's also the place where God meets his people. Yes. So there's like, I mean, verse, I'm skipping ahead a little bit, but 214, behold, I will allure her. I will woo her. I will seduce her like, and bring her into the wilderness right. and speak tenderly to her. Yes. Like the wilderness is a place of judgment. Yeah. But it's also where God meets his people. Well, yeah, and I think the reason why the wilderness here is the place of God's allurement is because it's going back to utter dependence. Mm-hmm. He's like, I'm going to rip you out of your bail context where you, you, I'm providing for you because you're in the promised land. You know, like that's why your crops are succeeding because it's me giving it to you. Mm-hmm. You think it's bail. You think it's these fertility gods that are giving it to you, but I'm going to take you out and make it so you can depend on nothing but me. Yeah. Just like you did in the wilderness, mm-hmm. your ancestors, whenever yeah. they walked through the wilderness and I provided them with with manna and water, you know, like yeah. I'm gonna do that for you again, and you will know that I am your God. Let me let me just read the whole passage about mercy, because I think it's it's saying exactly what you're saying. I will allure her, I will bring her into the wilderness and speak tenderly to her. So to think about that for a second. Mm-hmm. When God gave the commands on Mount Sinai. That was him speaking in love yes. and speaking tenderly to his bride. And there I will give her vineyards and make the Valley of Achor a door of hope. And if you remember the Valley of Achor, that's actually in the promised land. That's mm. where Achan steals one of the devoted things after the battle of Jericho and like this plague comes. Yeah. But it's also, I will t- make that place of destruction into a door of hope. Kind of like he does with Jezreel. Same thing he does with Jezreel. And there she shall answer as in the days of her youth. So back when she was in Egypt, as at the same time when she came out of the land of Egypt. You're supposed to read the metaphor of the wilderness, mm-hmm. her historical reality of the wilderness, into what's happening right now. Yeah, in the same way that, they, that God took them out of Egypt and their slavery there and um, their familiarity with the idols of Egypt, the golden calves of Egypt, and stripped them of that and provided for them and brought them into the promised land. He's like, I'm going to do that for you again. I'm going to take you out of the promised land that's now spoiled with idols let you depend on me again before I bring you back in. Yes, yeah. into a new promised land, a yeah. new creation. Um, yeah, so that's that's the uh, that's the central metaphor for chapter two, and then verse seven we have an interesting kind of um, addition to mm. this curse. He says, "So she's going to pursue her lovers, but not overtake them. She shall seek them, but not find them." And then she shall say, I will go and return to my first husband because it was better for me then than now. Yeah. So a couple things to note. Uh, one, God is going to give them the opposite of the gospel. Yep. Uh, what is one of the promises of Jesus? Seek and you shall find. Knock and the door will be open for you. Like ask and you will receive. Yep. Israel's told you won't get that. Right. You're going to look hard after your lovers. You're going to run after them. Mm-hmm. But the harder you look, the less you'll find. Yeah. The the law of diminishing returns will rule your life. And what's really interesting, one of the capstone curses in Deuteronomy 28 is this. The Lord will give you an anxious mind, mm. eyes weary with longing, and a despairing heart. Mm. Like the the ultimate experience somebody of who's committing idolatry is going to be an anxious mind, eyes weary with longer, longing, and a despairing heart. Yeah. And he's saying, I'm going to give that to you perpetually. A bucket with a hole in it. A bucket with a hole in it. He's like, yeah. there will never be enough for you. No yeah. matter how often you worship Baal, no matter how much sex you have with the cult prostitutes. No matter how fertile your fields are, you'll never be satisfied. You'll never be satisfied. That's the curse. Yeah, that is the curse. Yeah. And yeah, and he, uh, 
and then he says, and that will make it to where um, the opposite of what you said in the will of what your ancestors said in the wilderness will now come true. Because while they were with God in the wilderness, they were saying, "Oh, that we would have gone back to Egypt." Yes, because it was better for me back it was better in Egypt. He's like, "No, now the opposite is going to happen. You're going to be like, oh, that I was back in the wilderness with God.'" Yes, <laughs> <laughs> which is just funny. One of the commentators I was pointing out was like, was trying to make something a little more of this. I think it's enough to just say like, he's reversing. It's like the the, the experience of the curse is meant to bring them back to intimacy with the Lord. But he was saying like, this is a mercenary statement. I will go and return to my husband. Why? Because better for me over there. Mm -hmm. It's like a mercenary. And then it's only later that there's this intimate renewal of like affection. Yeah. I don't think you Eh, need that here. No. I think it's enough to say like, what they used to say in the wilderness about Egypt will right. now be said about God. Right. It's so beautiful. Yeah, I don't think it needs to be mercenary. Like the product, it reminds me of the prodigal son. It is exactly the language <laughs> for the prodigal son. It's a say, it's a quote. Is the it prodigal really? son is quoting this. Oh my goodness. Well, at least. Basically. Basically. It's, it's in my, <laughs> I, I looked it up. It's, it's the same word, except it doesn't use the word husband. Oh, so crazy. Yeah. The prodigal son, when he's in the pigsty because he's squandered all his wealth, he says like, I'm going to go back and be a servant in my father's house because at least there, even his servants eat better than I do. Yes. It's better for me there. Than oh, now. that's it's, so cool. It's just, at least at the very least Jesus is using the same logic. Right. There right. is like, there is a depth of the curse to which you will go. And right. Like you long to be back. Okay. So father. we're circling the drain on something. Okay. Okay. Uh, and I want to, I want to, I want to point something else out while we get there. So we're, we're saying like, there's this anxious mind, this bucket with a hole in it, mm-hmm. um, this lack of contentment and satisfaction that comes to those who don't love God with their whole heart. To the spiritually adulterous comes anxiety, a lack of contentment, a lack of fulfillment. And despair. And despair, right? Uh, again, that, that's doubled down, but it comes closer to home. It's not existential or economic. Um, in verse 11, it's religious. He says, and I will put an end to all her mirth, her joy, her you know celebrations. Uh, where? Where will he get rid of her mirth? Oh, at all her religious parties that she throws, at her feasts, her new moons, and her Sabbaths, all her appointed feasts. These are the things that God commanded them to do in the Torah. Mm-hmm. And he says, and, and those have turned into revelries, like, and they mm-hmm. it's syncretistic revelries where they're mixing Baal with worship to God. And they're becoming these like parties, and they were yeah. supposed to be parties. They were, and they were, but they were supposed to celebrate what God had given yes, them. Yes, exactly. And what's the next right. verse say? The, what does the whore wife say? Look at these are my wages, which my lovers have given me. Mm-hmm. Not God, but the bales, but all yeah. these other things. They're, right. Look at my look at all my wheat and all my wine. Baal gave this to me. And God's saying, this feast is for me. Don't right. you know that? And so you can. So God says, I'm going to suck all the joy out of those celebrations mm-hmm. to where you could throw the biggest party ever, and it's boring to you. Mm-hmm. I'm going to turn your religious observances into perpetual monotony. Uh, it's like um, Narnia uh, in awesome. the Lion, Lion, Witch, in the Wardrobe. Always winter, but never Christmas. And it's mm-hmm. just like, so I think what we're circling the drain on here is like a symptom of, of spiritual adultery as it's being punished mm-hmm. is a sense of just like emptiness and yeah. dread and like, anxiety yeah like and the, like i will give you an anxious mind eyes weary with longing despairing heart yeah and i'm just like i think so many of us can resonate with that and yeah. it's like man i just don't know what to do i keep going to church and it's empty yeah i was thinking the exact same thing i'm like oh yeah how do i fix that like well i should just read my bible more I'm like yeah you probably should yeah. but that's not the that's not the problem right the problem is like 
you've divided your allegiances. Mm -hmm. You love something else alongside God mm -hmm. and it's giving you exactly what you want. Yeah, and so what God's doing with that existential dread, with that anxiety, why did God put a hole in your bucket? It's so you might say you know what song? they said. There's a hole in my bucket, dear Liza. Yes, I, I see do. it all the time. My kids hate it. Oh, I bet they do. They, Dad. That is a serious. Yeah. But anyway, anyway. <laughs> the very important point that I was trying to make is why does God allow us to be punished this way? Why does he allow us to experience anxiety? And like, why does he put this hole in our bucket, dear Liza? It's, so we, might, Henry. it's <laughs> so we might say what we've been saying. I will go and return to my first husband for it was better for me then than now. Mm -hmm. Like I'm missing something. I need to go back to God. Yeah. And so it's like, if you're experiencing a lack of satisfaction, no matter how much satisfaction you pursue, it's because you're ignoring the source of satisfaction itself, God. Yeah. And what I love about the message of hope in this section is that God comes to the wilderness where you are. Yeah. The wilderness of anxiety and despair that you've created from yourself by your divided affections, that's where God comes to allure you. Yeah. That's where he comes to like meet you. He brings you into the wilderness so that that place of despair can turn into a place of hope. That's right. Yep. And how does he do that? He comes to us, behold, the voice of one crying from the wilderness, make straight mm -hmm. the path of the Lord. Mm -hmm. the, these are some of the last words in our Protestant Bible that tee up the ministry of John the Baptist, who prepares a way for Jesus, who comes to the wilderness yes. and proclaims, repent, because I'm here now. Like my kingdom is here. The groom is here. Mm -hmm. Like Jesus came to us. He didn't have us come to him. Yeah. Like the groom came to us in the wilderness, in our sin and bought us back. He, uh, even like historically, Israel was still in exile. Mm -hmm. They'd come back to their home, but they were ruled by Rome. Oh, yeah. They were in the wilderness still. It was a military state. It, and Hosea's prophecy had not yet come true. They were still waiting on their husband to return. So when Jesus comes out of the wilderness mm -hmm. and goes to the banks of the Jordan and John the Baptist is there talking about the wilderness. Yeah, saying, saying I'm not the groom. I'm the best man. Yes. That's the groom. That's the groom. And Jesus walks in. It's this moment. <laughs> yes. God is calling his people back. Speaking tenderly to them. Speaking tenderly to them. And doing what? Healing the sick. Mm -hmm. Raising the dead. Going to prostitutes and tax collectors and sinners. Yep. And calling them to repentance. That's right. And bringing them into his kingdom. Okay, so we also have uh, this next statement, verse 16. And in that day, when Jesus comes, declares the Lord, you will call me my husband, hmm. and you will no longer call me my Baal. So Baal could mean husband. It could mean master, Lord, Lord. lowercase g, gods. Right. Uh, but it was commonly used as the name for a husband, too. Hmm. But God will so thoroughly allure Israel to himself that she'll forget there's another name husband besides the Lord. Mm. Like when she thinks of husband, all she can think of will be Jesus. Right. That's the only way she'll be able to imagine himself. And like what that does is, I think one of the commentators I was reading, like it robs all the idols of their power. Mm. He's not saying the idols will disappear. There will always be idols. Yeah. But they will have no power. They have no name. They have no name. They have no allure anymore. What, because yeah. It's like, I remember when I was in India walking around and you'd see shrines to idols 
I wouldn't know that idol's name, what it was for, what it was supposed to do. It didn't mean anything to me. Mm-hmm. I was like, I would just be like, what's that? Yeah. Oh, it's an idol. Moving on. Right. It had, it had, it had nothing to offer because it didn't have a name. You know, it had no power. Yes. Anyway. No, no, it's a, it's a great point. And it's also that same kind of thinking that tricks people into idolatry in situations like this. Oh, it's just an idol. It doesn't have any power. I'll just oh. put it in my field anyway. Right, 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 right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway. And then God says, and I will make for them a covenant on that day. Not with them, with the beasts of the field, the birds of the air, and the creeping things in the ground. And I will abolish the bow, the sword, and war from the land. Mm-hmm. And I'll make you lie down in safety. Yeah. This is new creation right. imagery. He's walking back through all the days of creation. Yes. Here. And if you remember from our introduction podcast, the the the, the beginning of this harlotry spiritual adultery theme in the Bible goes all the way back to creation where man and woman were brought together as one flesh to cleave to one another only. Oh, I just hit the table. I get so excited (laughs) to cleave to, to cleave to one another only. And that was a picture of how they were supposed to be with God. But as that relationship broke between man and God and broke between man and woman, so did creation. Creation broke. And so God is saying, as you and I come together, the whole world gets remade. Like we get to re-enter into paradise, into Eden, and and like that is that's what like Jesus. Jesus earns. comes to do a new creation. Yes, make a new creation. Jesus comes and he brings us. When Jesus comes out of heaven, as Revelation talks about it, yeah. um, he comes to us and he presents us to himself like a bride, mm-hmm. holy Revelation and spotless. 21. Yeah, and then he comes and he says, "Behold, I make all things new." Like as we come to Jesus and are unified with him, the world gets remade around us. It's why repent and the kingdom of heaven is near go so closely together. Yeah. It also reverses the curse that we just heard about. Israel's been made a wilderness. Right. And what's God doing? What's the wilderness full of? Wild animals. Yeah. And so what's God doing? He's taking the destruction, the decreation, the chaos of Israel's life and putting Eden into it. Yeah, turning He's, destruction and domestication. Yes, like yeah. God, like this, and, we're, and what is one of the first promise, what are the, one of the ways, why am I saying the same thing over and over again? <laughs> Jesus talks about making us new creations, right, not just right, right. the creation that will come on that day, uh, although that's true, mm-hmm. and that's when the beasts of the earth will be like made a covenant with, but we too are new creations, our wildernesses are over in Christ. And then in verse 19, he says, I will betroth you to me forever. Mm. I will betroth you to me in righteousness and in justice and in steadfast love and in mercy. And I will betroth you to me in faithfulness and you shall know the Lord. Um, I was thinking about like bride prices. Yeah, yeah. Really common in Israel's day to pay a a bride price. If you go to some, if you want the bride, which is going to happen in chapter three. It's going to happen in chapter three. Yeah. And it happens here too. Yeah. And the idea is like you have to pay something to the father of the bride and mm. that is what it costs to make a woman your wife. Mm. So you're saying that like mercy, steadfast love, righteousness, are those the bride price? That's, that's, that's what I'm wondering. Mm. I'm wondering if what Jesus pays in order to make us his people is like a down payment of righteousness, justice, steadfast love, mercy, and faithfulness. Mm-hmm. And I was just thinking about the ways in which Jesus is all those things. Yeah. He is steadfast love. He is faithfulness. He is mercy and he is justice. And he pays the price for that. He, he, he gives that to us in his life and in his death mm-hmm. so that we can become his people. Um, I don't know if that's what we're meant to see there or if it's just the character with which 
He comes to us. He doesn't come to us mercenarily or greedy to right. get something from us. Right. He comes to us just because he steadfastly loves us. Right. He comes to us just because he's faithful to us. He comes to us just because he's merciful to us. Yeah. And I think that's like what we see in this, like in the only other narrative detail uh, in Hosea in chapter three, like Gomer has again been faithless. Yeah. Like cheated on Hosea and I like now he has to go buy her back again. Mm-hmm. Like again, the details of the story are confusing, um, but it's actually not here, for here. Here it's not expensive. Yeah, it's actually not. It doesn't cost that much for him. Uh, it's humiliating, and it still costs. Mm-hmm. He buys her back to himself. But I think the point of the low cost here. Uh, it, low co- what are you talking about? The low cost. Oh, so uh, chapter three, verse uh, two. Oh, I will buy her for fifteen, 15 shekels. shekels of silver and a homer of. Yeah, whatever that is, and barley. Yeah, uh, it's like it's not nothing. It's not nothing, but it's actually like relatively inexpensive. Um, and the point of that is to show like how worthless she is. Mm. Like she doesn't even cost. She doesn't even cost that much to anybody. Yeah, she's it's not. not Jose is not buying her. Just to be clear, like oh, Jose is right. not buying no. a wife. He's yeah. she's joined herself to another lover. Yeah, and the lover says, "I won't let her go unless you pay me something." Exactly. How? Oh, okay. How much is she worth to you? Eh, two bucks. Right. It's like, oh, really? Here you go. Yeah. And yeah. So, like, so it's it's this 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 ridiculous idol lover yeah. is treating this woman as nothing, and Jose is willing to pay whatever it takes to bring her back. Right. That's the story. That's not, the story. Yeah. yeah. But I think what's what's amazing is that it's like we cost a lot for God to buy back. I think is what I'm I'm getting at here mm. is like yeah. it costs a lot to buy us back. How much? Like price of his son. The price of the, his son on the cross. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's the bride price. Righteousness and mercy and justice. The fulfillment of righteousness yes. and steadfast love and mercy and justice is what it takes to make a whore God's wife. That's right. And he's willing to pay it in mm-hmm. his son. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so that's, I mean, so yeah, so that's what happens in chapter three. Mm-hmm. Um, he buys back his wife from this um, idol adulterer. Yes. Um yeah, we, chapter 3, verse 1. Go again, love a woman who is loved by another man and is an adulteress, even as the Lord loves the children of Israel, though they turn to other gods and love cakes of raisins. Cakes of raisins, nobody knows what that means, so as far as I can tell. Yeah, someone I uh, one of the commentators I read said that it's like a really random, commonplace food that is just like, they uh, love, they love like, uh, what, what would be like a, I'm trying to think of, what are those little like rice puff Oh. wafers called or like the wafer cookies no it's like they come in like a sleeve oh yeah the rice ri- cakes yeah rice you know? cakes. it's just like they love rice cakes more than me <laughs> <laughs> they literally love anything more than me <laughs> the the story though we think is what happening is that is god Ho- hosea god israel yeah hosea has married an adulterous woman they've been married for a period of time she leaves, goes to another man, commits mm-hmm. adultery to Hosea again. Right. And then God commands Hosea to go and love her again. Right. Make her his bride again. again pay the price again. Again, like again, bride price twice now. Like yep. there's a ridiculous amount of affection going towards this woman who does not deserve it. Yep. Um, and so. Yeah. And the reason he gives for why this should happen, why he, sh- why he should do this is because it's representative of the fact that God loves Israel. <laughs> like mm-hmm. what? <laughs> yeah, it yeah. would have been an impressive story if Hosea went to Gomer and said, This is what God like it's like I still love you. Mm-hmm. And then just say, Man, this is what God's like. He loves yeah. a whoring bride. 
it's kind of even amazing the order that it happens. Mm. God says, I love Israel this much. Yeah. And Hosea, because of God's love for Israel this much, goes and marries somebody who doesn't deserve it. Like, right. It's kind of like a crazy like ordering of events here. Mm. It's not like Hosea is this great person. Right. Magnanimously saying, this is what God is like, everybody. Yeah. It's God is so loving towards an adulterous people that it motivates Hosea to obedience yeah. to marry a whore twice. Right. To pay a bride price twice. To stay married her despite her adultery twice. It's profound. Yeah. And yeah, and but their second marriage is not like the first. It's not. Yeah. It's supposed to, it's a representation of Israel's continued adultery after their marriage on Mount Sinai. Right. And what happens, uh, verse three, I'll just read it. Um, And I said to her, you must dwell as mine for many days. So this is Hosea talking to actual Gomer. You shall not play the whore or belong to another man. So will I also be to you. Meaning I won't sleep with you. We're going into rehab. Yeah. Like no (laughs) one's having sex with anybody for a little while. And then verse four said, because... The children of Israel will dwell many days without king or prince, without sacrifice or pillar, without ephod or household gods. And then afterwards, the children of Israel shall return and seek the Lord their God and David their king, and they shall come in to fear the Lord to his goodness in the latter days. Right, yeah. Hosea and Gomer are going to remain abstinent for a little while mm-hmm. as a as a prophetic picture of the fact that God is going to force Israel into a spiritual abstinence. Yes. Like he's going to remove all the things that she's hoarded after. Mm-hmm. Like all the bales, the household gods, even their their even the the trappings of Jewish religion, ephods. Yeah. Like even the things that they used the to worship feast, him, the, new the moon feast, festival. the new moon, the temple itself is going to be inaccessible to them for a period of time. Like like Gomer and Hosea yeah. are going to be abstinent. Yeah, Hosea not having sex with his ro- wife is representative of the fact that Assyria is going to come, take Israel into exile, and make them either worship false gods or not worship them, but like take them away from God's presence. Mm-hmm. The intimacy is withheld from Gomer because God's intimacy with his people is going to be withheld when Israel's in Assyria. Mm-hmm. That's the point that's being made here. Yeah, and I think it's also like, I think we have to remember that uh, Israel's worship of of Baal was animated by their worship of Yahweh. And so what I mean by that is when you it was it was syncretistic. Like they did both. I don't they I don't think Israel would have only worshiped Baal. Yeah. Right? right. And so when you like that would be they would that would be clearly adulterous. Yeah. If it but it's like no no no, Baal is under Yahweh or however they wanted to spin it, you yeah. know. But like when they are removed from access to Yahweh, they are cut off from the spiritual. And so they are no longer allowed to play the whore, mm-hmm. even with their false gods. Yeah. They are just now cut off. They are now spiritually abstinent when they are removed from the land. Yeah. And that's pictured in Hosea and Gomer's right. abstinence. Um, and that's how chapter three ends yeah. with this uh, promise of a lack of intimacy yeah. between God and his people. And then the promise that one day it will return. Mm-hmm. And that's, and again, the... There's no reason given for this message of hope. hope. Afterwards, for no apparent reason, the children of Israel will return and they will seek the Lord their God and David their king and they shall come in to fear the Lord and his goodness in the latter mm-hmm. days. There's a message of hope that intimacy will be restored when a son of David comes. It's Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> it's, yeah. like it's Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Jesus comes as the husband and the king. 
Mm-hmm. Right to bring his people back out of this sexual abstinence or this uh, spiritual abstinence, mm-hmm. where they can now be intimate with God again. They can have they can know their husband, you know. And I think I think it's really interesting that First Corinthians um, links sexual abstinence abstinence with pursuit of God. Oh yeah, like a husband and wife abstain for a little while for prayer. Right. Yeah, yeah. It's like don't don't stop having sex altogether, but. You know, you might want to fast from sex for a little while just to commit yourselves to prayer, because it's like there's this analog mm-hmm. that like the the what we what we search for and often get in good sexual intimacy between husband and wife is an is a lesser a shadow like an analog of mm-hmm. what intimacy with God is like it's better yeah. like and and it feels weird to talk about yeah but I intimacy mean, with God like sex I mean Paul does it in Ephesians 5 this is mm. the classic yeah classic passage about marriage that we talk about all the time I'm going to pull it up while I keep talking but um he says the way in which Christ died for the church mm-hmm. is the way that husbands are supposed to treat their wives mm-hmm. and then he says uh he says this um Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy. And in the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. Have I missed the verse that I want to say? Um, oh, here it is. It's the very end. All of this is, uh, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mm-hmm. mother and be united to his wife. So he's talking about sex. And the two will become one flesh. He's talking about sex. Yes. This, this sex, sex is a profound <laughs> mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. Mm-hmm. Which has blown my mind every time I like really think about it. Oh, like marriage, husband and wife coming together. This is a picture of Christ in the totally, church. Totally, right. When man and woman love each other well. Yeah. I mean, what is the ultimate expression of love? Yeah. Or a, a expression of right. love is sex. And he's saying sex is fundamentally a theological act. Right. In which you act out the intimacy God wants to have with his people. Right. And <laughs> Yeah, I mean, in the Bible, the Bible uses this to talk about us being one in Christ. Yes, united with Christ in Christ. Like, yes. Yeah. Like, and 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 so like we don't want to over sexualize things. No. But like the the Bible's doing this but connection. But I do want to sacralize sex a little so bit. There more. you go. Yes. Like I mean, like right. sex is so like taboo in so many ways, and it's a private thing. You know, like yeah, we yeah, should yeah. talk about it that way. But we don't think about sex as sacred. Right. Because we're so used to pushing to the side. Yes. God has none of those like qualms or hangups. And Hosea just forces you to deal with this. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's just, it is interesting too that like, what will heaven be like? It will be like moving into our new house with our husband. It's, it's our marriage. It's our wedding day. Yeah. And what will eternity be like? Our honeymoon. Mm-hmm. You know, like that's how the Bible ends. Yeah. Is with a honeymoon with our husband. Yeah. Anyway, that's no, crazy. No, no, I'm like, yeah. I'm, I'm just like trying to like process it's that a lo- still. It's a lot. So why so, yeah. does that matter to like somebody right now, to me right now, to you right now? Um, oh man. Well, I mean, one, I mean, there's so many things going through my head right now. One is again, I'm just trying to grapple with this fact of how much God loves me. Right. All right. And like, and then I'm also trying to, grapple with the fact that like I probably have a too high of opinion of myself that he loves me because like I'm I'm, I'm a good guy I'm a good guy yeah. he, he wants to love me 
I work hard. I do stuff. Right. He's like, no, YouTube videos. I'm a whore. <laughs> and he loves me. <laughs> yeah. And he love he loves me. And he's jealous for me. So I'm like still thinking about all that. Um, but then like there is just such great hope and joy bound up in this message that Jesus is our husband that like wants to satisfy us forever that wants to like to to steal me away and lure me away from the existential dread and anxious mind and bucket with a hole yeah that my whole life experiences and like in him there's fullness of joy and at his right hand are pleasures forevermore like I don't know. I think yeah. it, it matters to me right now because I need hope every second. I need that hope every second mm-hmm. to allow my heart to be a Lord away from so many things that I want to love every day and trust every day, even yeah. a little bit. Yeah. And to like throw myself back on the love of my ultimate husband, Jesus, like my ultimate love, my ultimate partner. Yeah. Like Have we anyway. ever talked about the, uh, the rose on the podcast we have yeah i think it bears repeating yeah that's fine yeah Uh, it's like there's a at least in old my church never did this old purity culture old purity culture churches uh i think maybe it was another snickers bar when i was a kid oh Uh, sure and the idea is like you're having a purity talk at church and somebody holds up a rose the preacher makes a big deal about this gorgeous rose. how beautiful is it here i want you to have it Mm -hmm. and he passes the next person pass it along and he keeps talking and he keeps talking and by the time, and he's talking about purity and remaining abstinent and making sure that you're faithful to saving yourself for your spouse or whatever else. And the rose gets back up on stage and like it's been handled by a hundred people, right? And he like it's falling over, it's cracked, it's falling apart. There's no petals left on it. And, yeah. he, and he, the big emotional punch of the sermon is, see this rose? Who would want a rose like this? This is why you save yourself for marriage. Mm. And I remember one preacher just saying, seeing this happening. And it was like, Jesus wants the rose. Yes. Jesus wants the rose. Jesus loves that rose. That's the message of the book of Hosea. <laughs> it's like there is no amount of having been handled that God won't pursue you for. Mm. Jesus wants the rose. Yeah. And I mean, we started with like, if, like you're experiencing sexual brokenness. If you have that in your past, that is not a barrier to God's love yeah, for you. Yeah, God wants you. He's jealous for you. There's no, yeah. He desires you. God wants the rose. Yeah. Yeah. Such a good good moment. That's good. Okay. That's Hosea 1 to 3. Yeah. Next week we'll be in Hosea chapter 4 and on. Hosea kind of takes a turn in the next few chapters. All the narrative stuff goes away. We don't have a lot of narrative details. It's really powerful imagery. But the rest is just essentially oracles, sermons that Hosea gives throughout his lifetime to different people and places. Um, So we're just going to take a big chunk of those next week and work our way through them. Yep. So thank you guys for joining us and we will see you next week. Thank you for listening to the Spoken Gospel Podcast. Spoken Gospel is a nonprofit that gives all its resources like this podcast away for free because of supporters like you. To help Spoken Gospel in our mission to speak the gospel out of every corner of scripture and view all our free resources, visit SpokenGospel.com.